pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Do you enjoy playing sports? How about swimming, tennis, or basketball? You may be an elite college or professional athlete, a child athlete, or just somebody who enjoys sports for its health benefits. Have coaches, your parents, or teammates ever asked you to play through an injury or play through the pain? Have they said, just deal with it and tough it out? Well, we all know that painful injuries can happen, and if they do, we may have to leave the game until we heal. But what happens if we can't return to the game because the injury is too severe? You'll be surprised to discover that injured athletes and not just high-profile athletes struggle with conditions like depression, loss of identity, and post-traumatic stress disorder. They're also afraid to express their pain, which can lead to more serious injuries. Dr. Samantha O'Connell is our guest today. She's a clinical psychologist with a specialty in sports psychology and works at the Integrated Center for Child Development in Massachusetts. We'll talk to her about why injured athletes feel compelled to play through the pain, the psychiatric impact of doing so, and how we can treat and then prevent these psychiatric conditions from occurring. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Dr. Samantha O'Connell has published in the areas of sports psychology and adolescent neuropsychology, among others. She's also a former professional figure skater. Dr. O'Connell, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with why injured athletes feel compelled to play through the pain. Inherent in the nature of sports is that you get up when you're knocked down. So athletes are the kind of people who just suck it up when things are hard. They train through the physical pain to get to the next level, and they do. And when it comes to emotional pain, they may be inclined to do the same. And then along with the personal characteristics, there's also the culture of the sport. So if a person is ingrained deeply in that culture from a young age, it sort of becomes part of who they are. You know, keep your emotions in check. Again, tough it out. And then, of course, there's external pressures. So families, a lot of families are centered around a child's athletic participation. And then when we get to a higher level, the pressures from the coaches, from the scholarships, from the jobs, it just goes on and on. Wow. You know, Sam, uh, today kids are starting at age three in youth sports. So are we talking about kids that young? Or, or are we talking about high school students, college athletes? You know, I see mostly in the beginning in the tweener years, Mm -hmm. although there's been some media coverage about young football players and how they're being, you know, encouraged to sort of play through the pain 
but I see it mostly starting in that tweener to adolescent stage and definitely through high school and beyond. Now, are these athletes that are competitive? I mean, are they elite athletes, leisure athletes? The research suggests that those who are, you know, more elite and invest more time in the sport are more at risk. I see it most in those whose identity is really wrapped up in the sport. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. On the other hand, if I'm a weekend warrior, for example, and I play soccer every weekend, am I at risk for this? You're much less likely to if you're a weekend warrior and you have more balance in the other aspects of your life. It's all about balance. Okay, it is all about balance. Uh, Sam, athletes are conditioned to remain calm, poised, and professional. Does this encourage them to play through the pain? I think the very thing that makes them great is the very thing that will get in the way of a a strong emotional recovery. Because, like, if they're able to sort of talk about what they're feeling or what's going on physically, then they can get the appropriate treatment and rest and whatever. Mm -hmm. If they're starting to feel pretty down, they're wanting to isolate, they're not feeling okay about what's going on with them emotionally following injury, then they're much more likely to get interventions that can shorten their recovery time decrease their emotional pain. Okay, so if they're taught to keep their emotions in check, which often they are in sports, certainly competitive sports, then it inhibits them from expressing uh, needed emotions that can enhance the recovery. In your practice, have you seen athletes take pain medications in order to continue playing the sport? Definitely. I remember as an athlete experiencing that, you're, you're often encouraged to take the medication and play through it and stay with the team doctors and Absolutely. Well, I mean, do you see this happening uh, more frequently? I'm not seeing that as an increased frequency. In fact, a lot of athletes may be less likely to take medications because of the thought that they don't want that in their body. They could be more naturalist, if you will, Mm -hmm. based on this idea that their body is a temple and they may be more likely. So I've seen it go both ways. It's pretty unclear. Okay. Uh, Dr. O'Connell, talk to us now about the external pressure that you're seeing from parents or coaches for athletes to perform. So I'm seeing this so much, and I'm, I am seeing this part more and more. I think as a society, we really are encouraging, you know, from a very young age, athletes to really go for it. Whereas a lot of kids used to be, you know, out there running around playing street hockey in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Now they're in tent camps. They may be in their conditioning camps and their skills camps. They're getting private coaching on the side. The more broad-based fun activities aren't really happening. Mm. And then we're also seeing family activities sure. being really focused around the sport. Uh, and, and one side of that, that's great, right? Everyone's supporting something that um, a member of his family is really good at. And we're encouraging self-esteem and all the wonderful things that sports do for, you know, for our kids, for our teenagers, for all of us. Mm. On the other hand, should an injury occur, all of a sudden that athlete is not only faced with the idea that they may not be able to participate and reap all of the good benefits for themselves, but I see a lot of guilt. This is what my parents do. This is all of the money that they've spent for me. This is why we didn't go on our summer vacation because I was in sports camps. And so the pressure to play through the pain and to just keep going Mm. is immense. Now, why are we seeing more pressure from parents and coaches to perform today? Is it because there's more emphasis on getting scholarships for college or because there's social status attached to it? It may be a whole slew of things. We'll sit with them and they'll say, all right, let's go. Let's get back to the basics. Remember when you were playing uh, pond hockey? Remember when you just uh, used to go running through the field? What was that like? Why did you do it then? And that brings the athlete back to a really special place. Yeah. What I'm finding more and more working with younger athletes 
Tom Hockey, what? That would ruin my skate. <laughs> um, you know, runs through the fields. No, no, no. There's rocks. They could trip it, you know, trip right. the ankle. So we've often, we've lost a little bit of perspective and some of the beauty that might just come with the pure joy for sport. Yeah, I can see that. Now, on the other hand, only about 10% of injured athletes will experience a long-term adverse psychological effect. So, you know, many of us might say, well, that's a small number. What's the problem? That statistic is positive, right? Only 10% are experiencing these long-term. Right. But what I'm seeing more and more is every single injured athlete that I see is experiencing something negative that amounts to at least an adjustment disorder, you know, far more than non-injured athletes. Okay. And the research does support that as well. So I'm not sure about that 10% number, but it is promising. And it's probably reflective of the resilience that athletes do have. Yeah, it sounds like it is. Now, Sam, you mentioned an adjustment disorder. Will you define that for us? Sure. An adjustment disorder can be the prelude to a more significant anxiety or depressive disorder. Uh Basically, what distinguishes an adjustment disorder from a more significant depression or anxiety disorder is time. So an adjustment disorder occurs within three months after something occurs. So the injury occurs, and then there's a psychological reaction to that injury that does affect performance. Okay, good. That's really helpful. Injured athletes often lose a sense of self. I mean, they lose their identity. Is that true in other disciplines, like like music, for example? Yes, and I love that question because I do work with some, we're talking about athletes, anybody whose identity is fully wrapped up in one thing. Mm-hmm. If something happens, whether it be an injury, you know, even for a guitarist and they break that hand, if their whole identity is tied up in that very activity, then they're at a loss. Yeah, I mean, it can be devastating. How do you gauge how immersed an athlete is in his or her sport? Often when I'm working with athletes, one of the first thing I'll do, whether it be, you know, before injury or after injury, is I'll have them draw a sort of pie chart of themselves and ask them, okay, put in the different slices of you. And what I often get is, a tiny little slice that's attributed to family member, friend, musician, and a whole lot of pie that is wrapped up in athletes. Mm -hmm. And they'll go on to say, and I I am, you know, a good son and a good brother, but my family activities are so wrapped up in my sport as well that I'm injured now and I feel like nothing. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've talked about a loss of identity. What else happens, though? I mean, it seems like losing the tight bond of the team once you're injured can lead to loneliness and isolation. Absolutely. That's another big piece is uh, along with that individual identity of this is who I am as a person, it's also part of your relational identity. I am part of a team or I'm part of this club and that's where, that's who I hang out with and that's what my family talks about at dinner time. And then suddenly when you're injured, there's that piece of who am I and then there's also that piece of where do I belong. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have also talked about the fact that this can occur even if the injury is temporary based on uh, whether an athlete might be missing prominent games or important tournaments. What psychiatric disorders are athletes at risk for if they're injured? We'll find out after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care 
by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top positions in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Samantha O'Connell. She's a sports psychologist, and we're talking about the psychological repercussions of injured athletes. Now, Sam, there are certain psychiatric disorders that athletes who sustain painful injuries are at risk for. One is adjustment disorder, the second is depression, and the third is post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, let's start with adjustment disorder. What, how do athletes manifest an adjustment disorder? First and foremost, you may see a, dep- you know, a depressed mood or just a sadness, um, isolation that isn't typical for them, changes in appetite, changes in sleep, mood mobility a bit. Um, anxiety is a big one. Mm. Avoidance from um, maybe the sport, maybe the you know the type of circumstances where the injury was rendered, but also in general, I definitely see a more social and emotion, emotional withdrawal. Okay. Is more concerning. Okay. Depression is sort of intertwined with this identity. If they don't see a life worth living as a life where injury is part of it, mm-hmm. then we definitely could see the hopelessness and the helplessness. Um, and even the suicidal ideation. Okay, and then finally, what about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder? Often what I, what I have been seeing is that if an athlete has an injury mm-hmm. that may or may not even be severe or long-term, okay. but in the moments before the injury or even right while it was happening, they have this vision of sort of their, it's not their life flashing before their eyes, it is their athletic identity flashing before their eyes. Yeah. And if their life is so caught up in a meaningful life means a fully functioning body. Any threat to that body is a threat to life. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you become injured, and all of us, something noxious happens, and we want to avoid it. They could become injured and then say, I don't want to play anymore. And I think it's crucial to, if it does reach the level of becoming a more significant anxiety-based disorder, that there's a clinician there disentangling, is this part of the anxiety avoidance cycle? where the the athlete is just avoiding because they're afraid, uh, perhaps irrationally, about what could happen to them should they get out there and play again? Mm-hmm. Or is this that they're saying they don't want to play because now they've had time to think about perhaps they want to broaden their identity? Oh, okay. Now, why is it important to express feelings, especially about pain? Well, think about a person as a balloon. You blow it up. You go a little bit in there, it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. So what? The balloon's getting bigger. Right. So you keep, keep, keep stuffing them in, and it could just explode. And so often what we see is either it squeaks out of that balloon in odd ways, and so feelings come out through displacement, or you may, you know, get angry at a person that has nothing to do with why you're angry, mm-hmm. or direct um, negativity in a way that's just not appropriate. Yeah. Whereas if you are sort of letting that air squeak out in an appropriate way, just sort of talking about it, uh, writing it down, whatever your form of um, emotional expression is. Okay, I mean, that's important to know. 
You know, Sam, over the last several years, there have been high-profile athletes who've died from suicide. How frequent is suicidal behavior in injured athletes? I would say the suicidal ideation is much more common, Mm. although athletes are tricky. Athletes are different, whether you're male or female. They tend to be more action-oriented individuals, Mm -hmm. and so it is more concerning when the depression reaches the level of suicidal ideation. But I do see that quite frequently, most frequently, with um, my post-concussive athletes. Okay, now, uh, by the way, suicidal ideation means that a person is having thoughts of suicide. Now, you mentioned, uh, Sam, the post-concussive syndrome. Will you elaborate on that? When you injure your arm or your leg or any other body part, it can, it can definitely be devastating. Yeah. But when you injure your brain, and there's the, the chronic headaches that continue if you have um, what's called post-concussive syndrome, the concussive symptoms last far longer than they should, and they can go on for a very long time. Along with the pain of the headaches, that of course is a much more invisible pain mm-hmm. than if you have your arm in a cast, right. is that not only is your physical activity affected, you are just not able to perform cognitively as well. Mm-hmm. You're just not as quick. People notice that you're just sort of a muted version of yourself, whether that be from the headache or from the cognitive symptoms of concussion, that seems to really impact an athlete on a whole different level. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing this in certain sports? It varies a little bit for uh, men and women. The the high-speed, high-contact sports for men are the ones where they're most at risk, Mm -hmm. like the hockey, the football, lacrosse. For women, they're more likely to have a concussion or prolonged um, concussive reaction in sports like soccer or basketball. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was a difference. We'll talk to Dr. O'Connell after the break about what kinds of behaviors we see in suicidal athletes. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Uh, Sam, talk to us now about the kinds of behaviors that we typically see in suicidal athletes. There's a more of a withdrawal, you know, being less emotionally invested, being less interested in things. Someone who's truly at risk, however, may have a little spike in their mood, in terms of a positive mood, because for some people who see suicide as the only way out, they actually, when they've made their decision to do it, they have a little more energy, and they may be giving away their belongings or saying those things that they really want to say to you um, as a way of saying goodbye. Mm, Okay. Now, what's the most helpful, though, in reducing the risk of suicide? I think the most helpful is sort of sort of taking a step back and understanding that the culture of athletics is one that likely says, suck it up, don't talk about it, push through the pain. Right. And so taking a step back and recognizing that there's an individual there who's hurting physically, but who's probably also hurting emotionally, mm-hmm. asking the questions about you know, how they feel about themselves, how hopeful are they for their future. And this, you know, can be a scary one for parents, but to even, often we're afraid of, of even asking the questions, but are you thinking about hurting yourself? Just asking the questions absolutely does not make one more likely to do it. In fact, it may really reduce the risk because they, are, you're now 
saying, but it's okay to talk about this, um, and I'm willing to be here to, to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because I think it's also important to let athletes uh, talk to each other about what they're feeling, and this in turn allows them to understand that they're not alone. Now, Dr. O'Connell, let's delve into how these disorders like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder can be best treated. I recommend cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a type of psychotherapy that really focuses on the meaning that someone's making about what has happened to them. For example, I broke my leg. My thought is, I'll get through it. And so I feel good about that. And then consequently, I continue doing what I need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I break my leg and I think, I am nothing without that leg. I am not an athlete. I am nothing. I consequently feel sad and I do nothing to improve my situation. So cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on those thoughts and then helps an athlete to shift their thinking that leads them to feel a much more adaptive feeling that, of course, could then lead to more adaptive behavior. So I would Mm -hmm. recommend that. Okay, so in addition to cognitive behavioral therapy, Sam, what can the family do at this point? An injury to a family member can be devastating to a family who really has focused a lot of their resources, both emotional, financial, um, time resources on sport. Mm -hmm. They can feel the loss, too. So recognizing that, modeling the feelings of loss, but also giving the message that we love you no matter what. Right. Your identity pie is bigger than just an athlete. We're here for you. And athletes want to always fix it. And parents of athletes want to fix it. And so when an athlete may say, I'm really not feeling great. And the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, but you'll get back. You'll get back. <sighs> right. But that may make the person feel far more alienated than if the parent or the family member or the friend would just to reflect that pain Mm -hmm. and to sit with that pain um, and not feel the need to change it. Okay. And so what's the best way, do you think, to prevent athletes from playing through the pain? I think it takes more of a mission to keep that eye on the prize, definitely encouraging hard work and perseverance, but also stepping back and also saying that it's okay to actually talk about uh, how we're feeling here, to talk about emotional things that are going on. When somebody comes in for performance enhancement or performance issues, often there's an emotional thing underlying that. Emotions aren't the enemy. Emotions aren't the opposing team. In fact, controlling those emotions is crucial in bringing out the best performance and in preventing injury. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I feel like helping them realize that who they are is not linked to what they do is really important. Absolutely. You know, the prevention of a single factor-driven identity is crucial. Mm -hmm. And so that has to come from... You know, the encouragement for that has to come from parents and coaches and teammates Mm -hmm. and then believed by the athletes themselves. Yes, I mean, the key is is believing. And before we close, uh, Sam, talk to us about what kind of preventive measures you'd like to see in place that would reduce the risk of developing a psychological disorder like the ones we talked about today if athletes become injured. I would love to see this as a part of every coaches and team's plan that we have our conditioning, Mm -hmm. we have our cardiovascular stuff, you know, we have our nutrition, we make sure that sleep is fully taken care of, but then we have this other piece that is equally important part, and that's, all right, your emotional well-being. So it's forming that balance between what is that part going to look like in the coach's plan for the team, Mm -hmm. and that has to be definitely more broadened and, and 
can include a variety of alternative ways to regulate your emotions, to broaden your identity, and to just feel good about yourself in general. Yes, I agree. And you can even see a sports psychologist to strengthen your emotional well-being. Dr. O'Connell, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains, and thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.